all the time. And, and they never could. The parents were trying to, you know, parent these kids and do stuff with them and for them. And it was always kind of a weird deal because you just have black and white, you know, just total opposites um, in, in the same room and in, um, in the same house. And so one day the, the dad decides to just kind of see what his boys are really like. And he noticed that one was always optimistic, the eternal optimist, and the other one's the eternal pessimist, just always down and negative. And um, so one Christmas, he decides to do something different and special. And so he goes into the pessimist room while he's sleeping, and he fills the room with toys. I mean, just all the newest toys, the, the, the coolest gadgets, all the things that this kid could ever want. He fills a room up with toys, and he goes into the, um, the optimist Room And when he goes into his room, he takes a wheelbarrow or multiple wheelbarrows full of horse manure. And for you kids, that's horse poop, right? And so he just shovels it in this kid's room in the middle of the night and just fills the room up with horse manure. And so one kid's got all the toys, one kid's got horse manure. And the next morning, he wakes up and he goes walking through the house just to see, you know, what are the kids think and he goes to the the pessimist room with all the toys and the kids sitting in the middle of the room just crying and he says what's wrong and he goes he goes this is terrible I've got all these toys and now all my friends are going to be jealous and they're going to be mad at me and and then there's I've got to have batteries look at all the batteries I need and and I'll never be able to play with all these toys eventually they're going to break and I mean he just everything was wrong and he goes to the other kid's room and the other kid is just digging through the manure. I mean, he's just throwing manure, manure everywhere, and he's laughing, and he's jumping around, and he's happy, and he goes, what in the world are you doing? He said, with all this poop in my room, there's got to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Dads don't get any ideas from that story. Some of you kids right now are sitting back going, if there's poop in my house when I wake up on Christmas, my dad. Hopefully we're full of better dads than that, right? We all have dads, whether we know them or not, whether they've been around or not, everybody's got a dad. There's a dad somewhere in this world for you. And, and, um, and sometimes whenever we read passages like Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When it comes to Everlasting Father, sometimes we get a little choked up because for some people, your experience with a dad or with a father was not necessarily a good one. Maybe dad was was absent. Maybe dad wasn't there for you. Maybe dad was, was always angry. Maybe you had a father that was awesome and wonderful. And, and so the way we view our dad sometimes determines how we view God. And they say one of the characteristics, Isaiah here, and it is years before, hundreds of years before Christ is born, Isaiah is looking into the future and he sees Christ being born and he says his characteristics are going to be one of a father, but not just any father, an everlasting father. A father that never leaves you or forsakes you. A father that's always there for you. And so I want to talk about this for just a minute because I think this is important. First, the, the word everlasting means eternal. It means he's in the past, the present, and the future. He is outside of time. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but... But I used to do an illustration sometimes when I would talk about the eternity of God and I would, I would have a string tied across the room and I would, I would take on that string and, and put a little knot on that string and I'd say that knot is where you and I live. This is where we are on the string of time. But God operates outside of that. 
He can move in front of it. He can move behind it. He can be anywhere on that line that he wants to be. God is outside of time. Why is that important? That's important because if you've got a father that loves you, is patient with you, that's looking forward to your restoration and your forgiveness if you've messed up, then you need to understand that he's already in your past. He knows what you've done. He's already in your future. He's got a plan to get you where you need to be. So it's important to see that God's eternal, that, he, that Jesus is everlasting. The other thing is that the character of a father, and, and this may be one that, that we struggle with sometimes, depends on how your dad was, but the character of a father in Christ, when we see Christ acting like a father in the Gospels, he's doing things like loving people. He's doing things like being patient with people, right? All you got to read is the story of Peter, and Jesus was so patient with Peter over and over and over. But he's also disciplined, right? Like a good father doesn't let you get away with everything. Some of you kids right now, you need to hear this. Let me help dads out. A good father will discipline you. All right? McQueen kids, listen to me. Right? A good father will discipline. Why? Because a good father doesn't want you to grow up and be dumb. Right? He doesn't want you to grow up and make mistakes. He doesn't want you to grow up and do, do bad things. So he's going to discipline you. Why? Because he wants to hone in your character and help you. But a good father is also all about restoration. A good father doesn't just leave you when you mess up. A good father tries to bring you back in. A good father is trying to restore you and and help you. So with that as the context today, we want to read out of Luke chapter 15. How many of you today um, have ever had to buy a gift for someone that's hard to buy gifts for? Christmas time, yeah. My dad is the worst. My dad is the worst because my dad, no matter what I go to buy him, if my dad and I are talking about, what do you want for Christmas this year? He'll get an idea. I want this. And then I'll be like, all right, we're going to get that for for dad for Christmas. And then we turn around and he's already bought it. Right? Right? Hello. That was the ghost of my dad. I mean, I know you're still alive, but that was like maybe your ghost. Maybe you had an out-of-body experience trying to get me to shut up. The thing is, like with, with dad, it's like you always try to buy them something, but they've always, they're already buying all the stuff that they want anyway. You all ever have a, a person in your life like that? They always buy stuff anyway, and so it's hard to buy things for them. And so sometimes you're like, you're like, how in the world do I buy something for somebody that already gets everything they want anyway? Let me teach you a lesson. If it's a parent that you're buying for, here's what you do. You buy your parents things that you want to inherit. That's what it is. I mean, I just go ahead and buy something, like, something I really like. And after I give it to him, I just go ahead and say, hey, let's go and write this down. This comes to me, not to my brother. Right? Like, let's just go ahead and put that down in stone. And now my kids are dealing with the same problem I've dealt with for years. My kids are now, uh, G2's got him a job, so he's got a little bit of money. And Emma takes my money, so she's got a little bit of money, and, and, um, and so they want to try to buy me a present, and so the other day, uh, G2 comes up to me, he's like, Dad, I'm buying this for Mom, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, buddy, that's awesome, that's so great, that's so thoughtful, but she's already got one. <laughs> like, I don't want to bust your bubble, and if you want to get her two, that's great, but she's already got this one thing that you want to buy her, and so then I was talking to Perry, and I was like, your son is so thoughtful, and he's doing such a great job trying to buy Christmas presents. And I was kind of explaining to her without telling her what he was getting her. And she goes, yeah, he's trying to do the same thing for you. And I said, I've already got one too. So um, he's doing a great job, so it's hard. Um, but what do we do for an eternal father? 
You know what I mean? Like, you think about this. Like, the wise men show up when Jesus was probably two years old, and they're bringing him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, I don't know how many two-year-olds need gold, but they brought it to him anyway. And they're bringing him these gifts that he doesn't necessarily need. Think about the Bible says that heaven is paved. The streets are paved with gold. Why would you bring gold to somebody that literally walks on it like it doesn't make sense? Because he's got everything. So what can I give someone that's got everything? Well, I want to take you to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling three stories. He's got a series going on. And and in his series, the first sermon is about a lost sheep. And he talks about how he's like a good shepherd that that goes after the flock. Like if he loses one sheep out of the the 100, he'll leave the 99 and go pursue that one sheep. And then he he compares himself to a woman that, that lost a coin. She had 10 coins but loses one very valuable coin. And Jesus says in his next sermon that she flips everything over in her house. She's looking under cushions and couches and and flipping over beds trying to find the one coin. And she'll do anything she can to find the one coin. And then the third message in the series is about the lost son. And this is where we're going to pick up today. So, So it says this in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now here's the problem with that. In Jewish culture, some people say that whenever a son before the father died said, give me the inheritance early, a lot of times what he was saying is, I'm I'm treating you as though you are dead to me. I'm leaving this family. I'm no longer a part. Sometimes we view this story and we just think, oh, the son just wanted to get some money and go party. But in reality, he's cutting himself off from the family. Not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered all of his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's so hungry, he's starving, he's trying to eat pig food. And even the pigs won't let him have any food. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The first thing that we can give an eternal father is not a decision but submission. The first thing you can give the eternal father is to submit your whole life to him. A lot of times we want to make decisions. Like we come to church and we're like, I'm making a decision today to follow Jesus. And we pray a prayer and we shake the preacher's hand and we join the church and and we make this decision. But it's not about a decision. It's about submission. It's about giving everything you've got. Notice this boy's words. He didn't say, he came to his senses and said, you know what, I'm going to make a decision today to join back in my father's house. So here's what I'm going to do. I think they're doing Christmas photos today. I might just put on some clean clothes and slip in the back of the Christmas photos and just be a part of the family. I might just sneak into my old bedroom and just just lay in the bed and just, just pretend to be a part of the family. If I can just slip right in and no one notices, then I'll be okay. I've just made my decision to just kind of be a part of the family. But whenever you recognize the fact that he had completely cut off his family, it wasn't a decision that needed to be made. It was submission that needed to happen. This boy made a decision to submit, right? Here's what he did. He says, I don't even have to be your son anymore. I don't have to be your son. I'll be a slave. 
I'll be anything you want me to be. I'll do anything you want me to do. I will lay down every part of my life if you'll just let me step back into the family. If you'll just put me back in the family, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't have to be your son. I'll be a slave. I'll do anything. He was fully and totally submitted. He wasn't submitted to the pastor. He wasn't submitted to the church. He was submitted to Jesus. And you know what God wants from you today? You know what Jesus as the eternal father wants from you and me today? He doesn't want your membership. He could care less about what church you're a member of. He doesn't care if you're part of Gateway or if you're part of First Baptist or you're part of Highlands. He doesn't care what church you're a member of. He cares that you're a part of his kingdom. He cares that you're his son or his daughter. He doesn't care about what preacher you listen to and who's your favorite. He cares about you as being his son or his daughter. And whenever we fully submit to him, when we say, I'm willing to give up everything. Listen, the disciples fully submitted. Were they fully submitted? As a matter of fact, 11 of the 12 disciples all died a martyr's death, willing to die for the cause of Christ, willing to die for the gospel. Why? They were fully submitted. Even Jesus said this. He said, if you want to follow me, you know how to follow me. It's not reading your Bible and praying, although those things are good and they help us to grow. He said, it's not church attendance, although that's good. It helps us to have community. He said, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross every day and follow me. Submit your whole life to me every single day. His concept here is that we submit, we follow, we obey, we love. Let's continue in the story real quick and we're almost done. I want you to see the father's heart real quick. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know what Jesus is as an eternal father today? I don't care what your dad was like. I don't care what your past has been like. Let me tell you what Jesus is as an eternal father. He sees you a long ways off. He sees you when you've submitted, but you haven't even spoken the words. He sees you on the back row. He sees you at home watching on TV. And he says, I love that boy. I love that girl. And whenever you start making your way to him, the Bible doesn't say he sits back on his throne and waits for you to show up. The Bible says he runs to you and throws his arms arms around you and kisses you. Think about this for a second. What was that boy living in? Manure, right? Mud, a pig pen. Jesus didn't say you got to get cleaned up first. Jesus didn't say you got to be perfect before you come in. He said with all the mud and manure and the trash and everything you've got on you, I'm still going to hug you and kiss you and love you and bring you back in. I find that impressive as a dad. My kids come home from volleyball practice or, or basketball practice or work, and the first thing I say to them is, I love you, get in the shower, right? This dad says, I don't care how messy you are, I'm going to hug you, I'm going to kiss you. That also wants to show teenagers it's still okay to kiss your dad. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Here he is submitting again. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's not trying to be somebody. He says, I'll be the lowest of the low. I'll be the lowest of the low. I'll do anything you ask. He didn't say, if I could just get a position in the church, Dad. Like, if you'll just put me on stage, I'll be here. He didn't say, if you'll just give me a, a ministry to do. If you didn't, no, no, no. He says, I'll be a slave. Like, I'll be the worst. I'll be nothing. But the father, I love this. 
He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, remember earlier, he had this whole speech planned out. Before he can finish the speech, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they begin to celebrate. The father wasn't just about loving the son. The father was about restoring the son. Now listen, some of you may think, if I just make this decision that everything's going to be okay, it's not about decision. It's about submission. It's about repentance. It's about turning away from your sin. That boy couldn't stay in the pig pen. And when that father saw him, yes, he loved him and he accepted him, mess and all. But you know what he did? He restored him. He didn't leave him that way. He didn't leave him in those dirty clothes. He, he didn't leave him barefoot. He said, no, 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 we're going to change these clothes. We're going to wash you. We're going to cleanse you. We're going to put some new clothes on you, new shoes on your fingers, on your feet. We're going to put a ring on your finger that identifies you as a son. I am going to seal you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to restore you back to your rightful place. That's what God wants to do. I tell people all the time, we should never enter into God's presence, whether it's at church or at home or in your car driving, listening to worship music, whatever, wherever it is you enter into his presence, we should never enter his, his presence and leave the same way we went in. Something should be changing. Something should be happening. Why? Because he is constantly restoring us and changing us. Last part, I promise I'm going to stop. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's, he has found him uh, safe and sound. The older brother came angry and refused to go in. So, he, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, uh, but you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So the first thing I can give God is my submission. That's the very first thing I can give to Jesus as the eternal, everlasting father. I can give him my submission. I can give him money and I can give him church attendance and I can give him service. Those are all good, but none of those things last. But if I give him my submission, that's, that's my soul, that's my spirit that will last forever if I submit everything I've got to him. But the second thing that I can give someone that's eternal is I can give them other lost sons and daughters. When I read the story of the lost son, the one thing that I notice about the, the boy that stayed home, because honestly, I probably identify with the boy that stayed home more than I do that the boy in the pig pen. Because I, I grew up the good boy. I grew up not getting in a lot of trouble. I grew up going to church and doing all the right things. Like, like there's a lot of things in life I've never done, and, and that's okay. But you know what? I, I identify with this boy because here's the problem. He's mad that his brother came home. He should be mad at himself for never going and finding his brother. His brother was out there this whole time. And this boy obviously knew what was going on because he says he squandered all your money on prostitutes. Like he's been wild living. If you knew that, why didn't you go get him? Why didn't you reach out to him? Why didn't you call him or text him? Or, or why didn't you show up at the pig pen to help him get out? But instead, you were too busy serving in the father's house to go outside the walls of the father's house and find the brother that was lost. 
We get too caught up being a preacher and being a singer and being an actor and being a, a, a children's worker and being a door greeter. These are all great things. But there are people out there that are hurting and dying and depressed and discouraged. They're broken and they're down and they're out. And somebody's got to love them and bring them in. So today, what do we have? We have an everlasting father. What else do we have? We have a responsibility to submit and we have a responsibility to reach out and bring others in. Why? Because those are the only things that matter to him. That's it. You and I are the only things that matter to him. At the end of the day, our money doesn't matter, our clothes don't matter, our stage doesn't matter, the building doesn't matter. Our eternal spirit matters. That's it. That's all he cares about. So today we've got one more song, and then I'm